You're listening to the EMP Sports Plus show. Full cast of characters, as I mentioned before, here with us. So I want to take this moment to actually catch up a little bit with my man Eddie down there. He had a busy and exciting weekend. Tell, tell us about it, Eddie. I've been to it. Uh, you know, I uh, did a little bit of work, you know, and uh, that was very time-consuming on top of uh, moving my gym. So that, uh, that's kind of a, uh, a old kick in the butt. You know, that's uh, time-consuming as well. And then <clears throat> Sunday night kind of turned into a uh, really late Monday morning, just catching bad people. So it uh, wasn't all that too hype, but, you know, cool thing was I got to uh, sleep in. So I guess that works works out. So you uh, – so you're – Late Sunday night slap into early Monday morning, that was not gym related. <clears throat> no, that was uh, that was work related. Um, oh, yeah, so there was uh, it, it, it was interesting, you know, it was, some, it was some fun times, but uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of off air conversation. That sounds like a so. 70s, like, cop movie with the stakeouts and everything. You have, like, a bunch of donuts up in the Dude, up I'll, on the console. You know what? It uh, it was kind of a 70s movie setup, just not a, a 70s movie that we could talk about on air, <laughs> if you catch my drift. All right, all right. Um, well, let's talk more about you changing. Are you completely changing locations, or is this just a second location for your gym? Uh, no, I completely changed locations. Um, it, uh, it, it's a better business move just because of the location and the audience that it attracts versus where we were at before. So it... Uh, it makes things a lot better, you know? Now, where did you move to? I am uh, currently in downtown Greeley. Are you talking about, like, Old Town? No, I'm talking about downtown. Downtown Greeley. <laughs> okay, so not, not next to Old Town. No, Old Town, it, it wasn't working for me, man. There's just, there just too many old people in Old Town. And Newtown, I wasn't feeling it because that's where all like the the brand new high school graduates and and college freshmen are at. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna go downtown, and uh, that kind of fits my my age group. So yeah, we're good. Now for besides, those besides, for... girls like when a guy goes downtown. All right. <laughs> when um, for those people who don't know who might who are listening, what is your gym? What's it called? And what do you do there? It is called uh, Renegade Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA. It's a uh, self-defense gym that teaches you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It also teaches you, you know, boxing, wrestling, Muay Thai, and, uh, of course, MMA. So we uh, we have a pretty good, pretty good strong following. I currently have uh, seven undefeated fighters. I have, have 13 they fought fighters. Yet? <clears throat> yes. Okay, okay. They are all uh, out of those. Out of those seven, we have four that are three and zero, and we have two that are uh, one and zero. One is two and zero. So, 
Nice, nice. We awesome. uh, we do the damn thing. <laughs> uh, since you know MMA is brought up a little bit, it has the UFC made any progress in trying to get some events going? Yeah, UFC has a uh, UFC 249 coming up on May 9th. That's uh, next Saturday. That will be taking place down there in Florida. And uh, the main event on that is going to be uh, uh, Tony Ferguson versus uh, a local prospect here in, here in Colorado. Former, former UNC Bear, Justin Gaethje. So that will be uh, very interesting. Co-main event will be uh, Henry Cejudo, who is an Olympic gold medalist for wrestling, taking on Dominic Cruz. So yeah, man, it'll be uh, it'll be good times. Awesome, awesome. Do you think the uh, Colorado kid? What kind of a chance do you give him in this? Mama. Justin Gaethje, yeah. man, he's got he's got good good knockout power. He's got good fundamentals. He's got good good wrestling. Leg kicks are uh, are very powerful. So I'm gonna. I'll probably give him around, you know, like a, an 80% chance to get that finish in, in the second or third round. So. So you, you think he has a good shot in this? That's that's nice to hear. Is, is he going in as the underdog, though? Yes, he is. He is going in as the underdog. Everybody is pulling for uh, Tony Ferguson to win. But, you know, it, it's fighting, man. Anything can happen, you know. Anything – Anything that you don't expect will probably happen, and who knows? Have you worked with him at all, personally? Uh, with Justin Gaethje, no, I haven't. I have uh, gotten a few rounds in with some of his uh, his teammates, like Neil Magny. Um, Neil Magny is, is is a really good friend of mine. He uh, <clears throat> he's another Army veteran, so mm -hmm. we have we have a lot of common. So I, I usually get some working with him. I get working with uh, Drew Dober, who's another one of their their teammates up there at a Elevation Fight Team. Drew Dover is another UFC fighter. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look, man, as teammates, as coaches, you know, Trevor Whitman, um, Elliot Marshall, they're all they're all really good guys. Know what they're doing. So, hundred percent faith in them. Did um, did he come up? Because I know there's there's different MMA leagues. If I just, are they called leagues, Eddie? Or uh, different MMA promotions. Promotions around Colorado, like Sparta and I. Uh, I know you've mentioned a couple others. Has he come up through those in Colorado and kind of worked his way up to the UFC level? Uh, Justin Gaethje never fought for any of the, the Colorado promotions. He he came up through uh, a lot of the Arizona fight promotions and stuff like that, and then uh, got signed to World Series of Fighting, where he was their uh, their lightweight champion for a good number of uh, fights, and then. Uh, Made his way over to the UFC. Now made his uh, UFC debut against Michael Johnson in a tremendous fashion. And uh, you now he's has ups and downs with fights, but you know that's everybody. You know what I mean? Why Arizona? No, uh, that, that's where he's from. That's where he. Oh, okay. uh, he's from. He, he moved to Colorado to uh, wrestle over there at UNC, where he had a uh, very good career. You know, mm -hmm. so good stuff. You're listening to the EMP Sports Plus show. Our full cast of characters are here, and we have not been able to take the time 
you know what? Hold with up, Eddie about Hold the up. NFL draft. Hold on. Let, let me stop you in your tracks right there. All right. Now, you know, listening to Three Doors Down play, you know, I'm, I'm, I was getting excited. I was getting in the fields. I was like, yes, let's do this. Can't wait to see them at, you know, the Greeley Stampede. <laughs> and then I remembered that the Greeley Stampede has been canceled for this year. Canceled. Because of the coronavirus. The COVID-19 has canceled the Greeley Stampede. Ridiculous, sir. Absolutely ridiculous. It is. It is. I I can agree with you on that. And it's 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 asinine to those that value the Greeley Stampede every year. You know, like I think it's nice because we were supposed to work it. Well, that too. But I mean, I I think it's just. It's too early to be canceling things. You know, we got to we gotta ride it out. Just like, you know, I'm going to throw it out there. Just like the BEA. They shouldn't have canceled that. It was way too early. Ain't nobody's sick. That. You know? I don't know. I, I think a lot of the myth. Oh, I got to see. I, I don't know what Joe was saying, but that's all right. I had to sneeze. Sorry. I think a lot of the misnomer is though, and here's here's the problem, and the media is part of that, which I apologize for, but it is, and I gotta sneeze again. Uh, <laughs> um, is everybody they look at the virus? Say, told you, he's it's called allergies. Now. Called allergies. Um, everybody looks at the numbers, and they look at the, how many died, or how many this, or how many that, you know, and. The problem is, though, is if you look at the daily numbers and then look at how many people died in the U.S. that day, those are included. So it's like doesn't necessarily mean that. And then also when they're testing people, I've, the 5% of the tests are coming back um, inconclusive, and the rest of them are just coming back with the genome. doesn't necessarily mean they have it, but they have the genome, which uh, Ames had set up a testing facility at uh, in their maintenance uh, like a drive-through testing facility so shout out to them for doing that and helping out weld county for sure but a lot of it too is like they're testing and if you have that genome they're marking you positive but they're not specifying whether you're actually sick or not they're just marking it positive so that's why those numbers are so high and kind of kind of in contrast of that is like if people are dying and say they died of lung cancer, but they got tested for COVID, it's a genome. So if it's in there, they're marking them as died from COVID, which is not accurate. So I think all these numbers are really, really skewed. Why it all happened, why, I was talking to Kate earlier, why China's recovered so fast, you know? Look at New Zealand, look at New Zealand. Right. They're in the the single digits. Like I just, it doesn't make, and it really doesn't. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but something's just not right. And I'm just, that's what I'm saying. Like the numbers aren't right. The numbers don't make sense. You know, my, I had to unfriend my sister on Facebook because of stuff like that. And cause she works in the medical industry. Even, even her numbers that she's given me are false. I'm like, you guys released 270 people from your hospital. Yeah, but we got like 400 more. I'm like, you have 150. I have the information. Like I get emails all the time from with these numbers from the CDC, and it's like you're you're wrong. Like people are just, it's like 
the old game telephone from back in the day. You hear it from one person and then it just gets changed and changed and changed. So that seems the, the, the way I see it is, I mean, you got to let your body get immune to it. Can't be shutting things down. Get your body immune to it. Plain and simple. Well, and that was the thing too, is they're, they're like the second wave, the second wave. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a second wave because y'all made us freaking sit here and do nothing. I'm just saying, look at Phil. Phil's out there riding his bike. Phil's out there in the park watching some, some girl out run this dude, catch a football. You know what I mean? Hey, Phil, do in Denver? I would like to say that uh, as far as China goes, it's probably a huge cultural difference. Like when they're told to go inside and sit down, they go inside and sat down. Yeah, because they were in quarantine for about 78 days. Remember, they were in quarantine in January, and they got out sometime in March, right? Uh, right. Really you got to you got to remember, in China, if they tell you to go inside and not come out, and if you come out, they will shoot you. So there's a big difference. When our governor's telling us, "Don't come outside, but go enjoy Colorado's wonderful hiking trails and outdoors and all this," like he made it a vacation, and that was the big problem. You know, if you're gonna do it, do it. Don't half-ass it. Plain and simple. So, so I would also say some of that is just personal responsibility, right? I mean, him telling us to go ahead and uh, you can get outside for a little bit and get some sun is not the same thing as meet up with your homeboys and have some beers. It's not the same as drive around and have fun time. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, but that was the same thing that I was looking at. It's like you see all these posts about, you know, park rangers upset because their parking lots are full, 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 full. And it's like, you know, you, if you're going to set guidelines, set guidelines, like, honestly, we're not fully lifted from this thing and golf courses are already open. Come on. Like, yeah, really? Yeah. But I mean, this is kind of, you don't have to be close to anybody to play golf. You don't have to be close to anybody to hike either, but that doesn't mean it's just, it's, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that's kind of the, the point is some of these things are, are different than others, but I would say that it's definitely not time to, to shut all this, uh, down yet I, I definitely believe in the second wave in coming here like you know I, I know you've yes. got numbers over there but I would probably trust someone that's working inside the hospital over just kind of outside here well, but I mean we still get a flu season every year I mean that's coming yeah there might be that's a coming. second wave but why so like there's been dozens of waves of flu they're telling, and, us this one, they're telling us this is a little different than the flu. They're telling us this is a little different than the flu, a little different than common cold. But it's also the first time we're dealing with it. And so now that so, we've dealt with it once, there's, we're going to have a better idea of how to deal with it in the future. There's going to be – there will probably end up being some sort of corona shot or COVID shot, whatever, that they'll have just like you go and get the flu shot or what have you. I mean – eventually. It'll be better prepared for for the next wave than what happened with the first wave. And people will also have, like Eddie alluded to, you know, built up some sort – people's bodies in general will have built up some sort of – I'm not going to say immunity, but better defenses and better capability to deal with such a thing. I agree with you. If the first wave is like maybe next year, or excuse me, if the second wave is like maybe next year or two years from now, this what if the second wave is, hey, you guys get out there and, and the second wave comes in August? How prepared do you think we are going to be at that point? Because that doesn't sound like much preparation time. Three years from now, yeah, 
we know what it's like now. We know how to bounce back. We know who's more susceptible to what. Right now, we're rookies, and we need to behave like rookies. And I'm just saying this, okay? You're never going to get your body used to something if you're not exposed to it. Plain I mean, simple. yeah, it's, it's, it's the same with the cold, same with the flu, same with, you know, the chicken pox. I you agree. know, I you got to get your body used to it. So, so don't shut everything down. Do what you're doing now, you know, and and just, just keep going on. If you're sick, stay home. Don't go out. If you're that worried about it, don't go out. If you're if you're still that worried about it and you have to go out, wear your mask. But you can't yes. expect everybody to, to live in fear. You know Which what is I mean? kind of the same thing like people who are – It's more caution. It's about fear, in my in my in my opinion. I agree with you. Because it's it's the same thing with like people who you know are like germaphobes or borderline germaphobes. Your your body needs to build up a certain amount of tolerance and a certain amount of you know resistance to things. That's why people who live inside of a bubble for so much growing up tend to be a lot more sick later on in their lives right. because yeah, their body are that. not exposed to these things. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'm going to leave it at that. But as, as a martial artist, whether it, it's MMA or grappling through jujitsu, whatever, but if you have ever had somebody sweat drop into your eyes or somebody sweat drop into your mouth, trust me, trust me, the COVID-19 is nowhere near that type of nasty. Just saying. You're listening to the EMP Sports Show with your host, Mr. Flip Ramey. What's good? How y'all doing out there? AKA Indiana Jones, because of the hat he's wearing. Oh, the bucket. The beautiful bucket. Yeah. We also have Mr. Uh, AK Coach Jones. How to do. And then, you know, we have the intern. Kate, she's just over there. And then we have, you know, Joe, who's just looking at Rogaine for his hair. So let's uh let's switch topics here. And uh um, you know we're 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 good at just free balling it. So Mike, what do you got? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end up deflecting <laughs> Phil here because he is gonna pass that thing over to Phil. Well, because there was the documentary going on, and I'm, I really want to watch it. I haven't had to, gone around to watching it, but there's the Last Dance documentary. Probably, you know, the biggest documentary going around now that the, now it's died down on the Tiger King. Hey, what and documentary? The Last Dance. What's that about? It's about uh, the last season of MJ and the Bulls. Oh, oh, so it's a basketball documentary. Yes. Okay. Why is it? Why is it gotta be about Michael Jordan? Because uh, he's one of the top three <clears throat> basketball players of all time. He's a scrub. <clears throat> all right, uh, another ridiculous uh, take there by Eddie, <laughs> thinking no. Michael Jordan's no good at basketball. No, he's a scrub. John Stockton all day long. <laughs> all right, Phil. Tell Two more Phil, episodes. Tell him John Stockton. Two more episodes of Last Dance came out Sunday night. I assume you watched them. Yeah, man, I was on it, dog. Let me take it over from here. 
So yeah, dog, we had uh what episodes three and four this week, episodes one and two last week, really dived into uh, Jay Krause, how much he was kind of treated like a clown around there. Though, I mean, we'll talk about him more in a second. So episodes one and two are kind of about how he was kind of bullied around there uh, by Mike and Scotty and Phil and the gang. Uh, then we had um, just kind of the background of Michael Jordan there, the background of Jay Cross, a little background on, uh, on, uh, on Phil Jackson. So then we go to this week, three and four. This was the Dennis Rodman week, man. We dived right into Dennis Rodman. Uh, dude was just a character in a time where uh, being his type wasn't really, it was frowned upon. You know, the 90s was a real judgmental area, era. Um, it was a time where the LGBTQ plus community was not really represented the way that uh, it wanted to be represented. Um, well, there was really a plus back then. <laughs> right, right, right. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. Um, so, you know, Dennis became a huge part of that. They talked about Dennis's uh, past, his upbringing, you know, being homeless as a child, being kicked out pretty young, uh, dropping out of high school. Guy didn't even play high school basketball. Uh, being homeless, found his way into the, uh, in the, onto a college team, ended up getting drafted, plays for the Pistons. They talked about the, uh, they went over the Pistons. This is supposed to be 97, 98 documentary, but it touches a lot on the, uh, just the, the past of all that bulls rising um so yeah three and four talks about the bad boy pistons dennis's time with the bad boy pistons uh his time with uh the spurs his time married to carmen electra his time with madonna who madonna is highlighted as the one who really brings personality out she was the kind of she was the one back in the day who was really um out there you can say out there um and when they got together, she kind of brought Dennis's, she gave Dennis a, a new confidence in himself. She pushed Dennis to get out there and, and, and speak and be himself. And that's when Dennis starts uh, and his hair. That's when the antics start. That's kind of when he starts getting the bad rep around um, in a, uh, NBA franchises, basically. Eventually, he gets traded over to the uh, Bulls right around the time Michael comes back. And... The question is to what kind of guy he's going to be, you know, because he's now this new, this new antics guy. But he and Jordan hit it off right away. Um, they talk about the 97-98 season, specifically being where uh, Scottie Pippen is injured and he misses maybe 35, 40 games, and it's just Dennis and it's just Michael out there, and that's when they uh, really get a bond. Um, so they get that lifelong bond. So it really just dives into Dennis Robin there, episode three. And then, um, gosh, what was episode four about? Episode four kind of kind of summed up the Dennis stuff, and then it touched more on Phil Jackson. Uh, Phil Jackson, they showed a lot of highlights of him in the 70s playing with the Knicks, um, the only Knicks championship team, like 73 and 74. Showed highlights of that. He moved pretty well. Moved pretty well out there for, uh, for Phil Jackson. What do you remember seeing of him limping around out there? there and it talks about his bonds with uh michael it talks about his uh his new style his his very different coaching style which involved a lot of yoga and just just relaxing and focusing um focus is like a big part of of what phil jackson philosophy was his coaching um and, and that style was just a lot different than what was going on back there which is more of a 
coaches were more militaristic. Uh, you know, you do what I say when I say to do it kind of thing. Um, it, they highlighted Phil Jackson bringing in the triangle offense, which was really established by Tex Winter. So it was a really good episode, man. Really, really, really strong. You guys should check it out. Everybody out there, give it a check out, man. If you have any interest in Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls dynasty that was in the 90s. Now, let me ask you, because I, I quite, I do very much enjoy basketball. Basketball is my number two sport. But can you explain to me and some of the listeners, what is the triangle offense? It's a offense in the game of basketball that involves basically the guys are going to end up in a shine in a triangle type shape throughout different points of the throughout different points of the offense. I mean, yeah, it's really the best way I can explain it to you. There's a lot of cuts, there's a lot of passing, it's a lot of read reading reaction, but that's basically what every offense is. So yeah. Because um, another thing I've heard associated with it is doing bigs like in um, in LA. Uh, Phil Phil Jackson liked to have two bigs to try to run this triangle type offense. When you know that's part of why, like how Gasol was there with um, and things of that nature. How much of that offense is predicated on the bigs? Because obviously, the Bulls weren't known for their. They had some big players. They had you know some. There was one guy who was like seven foot four. I can't think of his name, but he played a good amount of time for him. But how much of the triangle offense is predicated on having those bigs that can make plays inside? Uh, not so much the bigs. It's just more post players, right? So like Michael Jordan had a great post game. Scottie Pippen was pretty solid down there, and of course Kobe grew into uh, having a great post game. So it's it's not so much about bigs per se, but it's just about having a good post game, being able to uh, play with your back to the basket. Gotcha. And if it's Which so typically is what bigs do, right? That's good. Yeah. Um, you were talking about how it's predicated on a lot of ball movement as well. Uh, they, Phil Jackson, when he was in New York and whatnot and trying to run that, he was getting a lot of flack because he was trying to run the triangle offense and put that, install that there and put the players in there to run the triangle. And it kind of seems like today's NBA is moving a lot towards that you know, towards ball movements. And if triangle is ball movements, is there a place for it in today's NBA? I don't think so because the game is just more spread out now. The game is more spread out than what the triangle offered. Uh, maybe if they, you could probably, you could, I mean, they, they take elements of the triangle and use it, right? There's things like you toss it inside and, the, and then this guard set screens from themselves, like split screens. There's, there's elements of it, but I don't know if you still run the triangle. But the reason it didn't work in New York is because the Knicks didn't have good players. That's why. <laughs> um, that's really why that – I mean, that, that's how offenses work. They're all successful if you have good players. I'm going to dive into some uh, NFL draft, man, right back into it. This is – I mean, there's nothing else to talk about, man. And, and the Broncos came out so ahead that why not? You got to milk this thing for everything they've given us. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely be spending a lot of time this hour talking NBA – or NFL draft, sorry. Just got one time about last dance, got NBA on the mind. But uh, definitely spend a good amount of time talking about the NFL draft coming up uh, in this hour because we got somebody and we'll get to get his fresh takes on it because we have not heard from him yet since before, since, uh, before the draft even started. Eddie's here with us and we'll actually get to talk to him and get to see, get to hear what he thought about the way the draft unfolded 
a lot of good stuff. I think we're all in unison here in thinking that this was a very good draft for the um, for the Denver Broncos, and it's not just us. I um, retweeted this post uh, kind of that went through all the different grades that people were giving the Broncos. Pro Football Focus gave the Denver Broncos an A+. Sports Illustrated, an A. Bleach Report, an A. NFL.com, an A. Draft Wire, an A. Roto World gave him an A-. USA Today gave him a B+. Um, Sports Nation gave him a B+. And then, for some reason, some tool, Mel Kuyper at ESPN, gave the Broncos a C+. Like, Everybody else is basically giving them an A, and Mel Kuyper comes in and goes, uh, uh, we're going to give you a C plus. Like, not even close to anybody else's grade. So, I don't really know what's up with that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, you know, most of the good, good guys thought it was um, an overall good draft. I thought it was obvious, man. I, I, think, I think most drafts are graded basically on your first three picks, right? Who'd you get in the first? Who'd you get in the second? Who'd you get in the third? Or, or as I say, your first three rounds. Um, that's why I feel like most drafts are, are usually graded. Um, yeah, I, I thought you can all agree, man. The Broncos did great. They, they, Jerry Judy fell to them. They didn't have to. They didn't have to trade up. They didn't have to give up a thing to get the top-rated wide receiver, the top ten player in the draft. Um, they grabbed Cushenberry, like you said, in the third round, the center that they needed, another lineman that they needed, and they grabbed another wide receiver, somebody to give Drew Locke. I mean, usually when you go receiver, usually when you go sexy, they're going to give you a nice uh, a nice grade anyway, man. Yes. You said my uh, man Mel Kuyper was only got to uh, grade us down? Yeah, Mel Kuyper. Did you, have McShay on the, did you have McShay on there? Uh, Not on this list, no. Okay. I'd love to see what McShay write because, you know, they like to go back and forth. They're kind of – the the Stephen A and Skip Bayless of the draft kind of thing. Here on the EMP Sports Show, we're going through the Broncos draft with our man Eddie here. We've gone through the first two days. Now it's time to dive into that day three. And it started off with um, another big head scratcher, probably the second biggest head scratcher for me of this Broncos draft. Drafting uh, Albert O. Uh, <laughs> Albert, how do you say that last name? Give it a shot. Okwijbanama. Yeah, Albert O. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Albert O for now until I hear somebody really be it who knows how to say it, say it a few times. Uh, but Albert O there in the fourth round with that first pick. Another tight end who is kind of a slash guy, kind of like Noah Fance. He's more of a receiver than he is a real inline tight end. Uh, actually ran even a faster time than Noah Fant at 4.49. So you're having two guys who have wide receiver speed but aren't necessarily um, – you can't necessarily rely on them in the blocking in the blocking game there. So that, that pick confused me. Yes, he has the experience with Drew Locke, and it's kind of a comfort thing. But uh, what was your thought on that, Eddie? Dude, I like it. I mean, it, it's something where you're getting a guy that, in case something happens to no event, he's going to be able to step right in, no worries, no issues. And, I mean, look, look at his connection with, with Drew Locke. You know what I mean? Plain and simple. That that connection with Drew Locke, that's already bringing a, a positive note to the O-line. And 
I gotta say this. It's another smart pickup, another smart play by John Elway. So you really like that pick, then? I do. Interesting. Um, there was one name in particular. I, I've always we've talked about it, and I've been on the on the horn for a coverage linebacker, and Damian Taylor out of Colorado was really what I wanted there in the fourth round. A raw guy with tons of athletic ability very very fast and good I wouldn't call great coverage ability but you get in you learn under Fangio but you bring in Albert O and you can't make an argument that the Broncos can't won't be explosive on offense if Drew Locke can get the ball out of his hands that's one thing I will without a doubt say for them Broncos draft here Everything, everything so far that Denver has done in the draft is going to pay huge in the long run. You know what I mean? Granted, you know, these guys have to get used to playing at the NFL level, but it's not going to be something where, you know, Judy isn't going to be able to handle the pressure. I mean, yeah, coming from Alabama, he, he's used to playing big-name schools. He's used to having a really – really pleasure lights. You know what I mean? So I, I don't see anything that would cause these guys an issue to make their make their NFL starts. You know, most of these guys are, are, are day one guys. Day one. You know, they're they're gonna like Alberto is gonna make Noah Fant earn his spot. Guaranteed. I'm not sure about Michael. I, I'm not sure how he'll fit into that rotation right off the bat. But uh, the cornerback, there's two more names because the seventh round guys, I don't, I don't know if they'll make the squad, to be honest with you. But the sixth round guys are very interesting to me. Uh, starting off with Justin Stranod, he's finally that coverage backer that I had been asking for. Uh, got him late, probably actually a decent value for him. He didn't time as fast as he plays, which I think is part of why he dropped down the board. So the Broncos being able to pick him up there in the sixth round or late in the – or, yeah, the sixth – late in the fifth round, sorry, was and a big pickup for him. Just, just piggybacking off what you said, he didn't time as good – as fast as he normally plays. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You got to remember, dude, that the, the NFL combine, it puts pressure on these guys more than what they're used to. So, yeah, of course, they're not going to shine like they're doing in actual games. It, it, it's a combine. You know what I mean? I don't care about what happens in the combine. I care about what happens in the games. You also get caught up in the competition, and you're like you're in the moment on the field. And I feel like there's lots of players who play so much faster than what they time because they're they're in the moment, they're in the zone, and they know what needs to get done, and they're just going to go do it. They're not thinking about it. They're not exactly. in head about it. Exactly, and and that's where I see everything coming into play. Is you have to watch what they do in the games. Now, Strenad, I don't see as a day one contributor on defense necessarily, but I think you give him some time later on this year, next year, I think he could end up developing into that Todd Davis replacement, could being the operative word. But speaking of future potential, I love the, the uh, Natane Muti pick there. The guard out of Fresno State, Beast of a dude putting up 44 reps on the bench. 
And this is a guy who was a solid day two for sure type of prospect. Second second round, maybe maybe dropping in the third round if it wasn't for the injury concerns with him. And don't get me wrong, they're big-time injury concerns, but this guy has huge upsides of snagging him up there to learn under Munchak and grow there. I think was a phenomenal pickup for the Broncos there late. I think I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to agree with you on that. Um, it, it is kind of shocking just because of, of the caliber player he is that he went so low. But, I mean, the, the injuries, though, those are really kind of play into everything. I mean, look, look at Derek Wolf. You know what I mean? Could be one of the greatest, but the injuries, man. Yeah, uh, that's that's plain simple injuries. Which yeah, when you're when you're talking about a sixth round pick, I mean you're not really risking all that much. So this is a huge boom, very huge reward, very little risk type of pick here. And and that's the thing, man. Is again, it's it's another smart all by Elway to pick him up when he did. And in the seventh round picks, did you have anything you wanted to say about them before we kind of move into how these draft picks are going to fit into this Broncos team? Um, no, not really, man. I mean, I wish, I wish we could have got a little bit more of a of a look at possibly somebody from like you know Notre Dame or somebody from you know Kansas or something like that. But you know, your, it is your what it boy is. Uh, Claypool was that his name, the wide receiver? Chase Claypool, like, yes, sir. Um. I've actually heard some talk, and after looking at looking at him a little more, about him kind of trans um, making a move into tight end because of just his size. Hey, Chase Claypool can definitely play at tight end, man. He's he's got size. He knows how to use it. He knows how to be a big guy when he needs to be. He knows how to be a small guy when he needs to be. You know, and and I can't remember who who picked him up. Uh, it was Jacksonville, wasn't it? No, Lavisca Chenault picked up. Or Jacksonville pick up LaVisca Chenault. Okay, so who, who picked up Claypool? I'm looking it up right now. You just keep talking, my friend. And, and speaking of, of Chenault, man, that, that would have been a good pick by Denver. I was, I was pulling for it, that. It, it, it would have been nice. It would have been a nice fit. I mean, <clears throat> to, to have another CU guy coming on to, to Denver would have, been, would have been nice. I feel so bad for him, though, ending up going to Jacksonville where – no matter how good he is, he's not going to be able to really showcase accomplish anything. Yeah. And you know what it is what it is. Let him let him go out there, let him get his paper, and then look for that trade. I mean, you know, everybody's look, trying to get traded out of Jacksonville. So Yeah, look, look for that trade, man, but let the let the kid get out there. Let him let him try some things. Let him get his feet wet. Let him collect his money and then move on to bigger, better teams. Get yeah. that experience and, and just run with it until you get to the new team and then add that experience with, with the new stuff you're going to learn. You know what I mean? I totally get what you're saying there. I I don't know. LaVisca was kind of my dream second day pick, and it was the Steelers that ended up picking up Chase Claypool, by the way. Okay, so, yeah. Claypool is, is going to get really good coaching. He's going to get really good experience with, with the Steelers. I mean, it, it's kind of working out for both Claypool and Chenault. You know, like I said, it would have been nice to get them in, in a Denver uniform, but it is what it I'll is. I'll be trading for Chenault in Madden. Uh, 
here on the EMP Sports Show, we've gone through basically all the picks here by the Denver Broncos with our man Eddie here. And now I want to dive into how these how these picks are going to fit on the Denver Broncos. Obviously, it's most important to start off offensively because that's where they jump at it out of the gates. Their first two picks here, Jerry Judy and uh, Ken Hamler. You're talking about a couple of guys here who, well, one is a blazer in Hamler, and then you got a proficient pass or route runner in Jerry Judy here. Jerry Judy obviously is going to slot in as the number one receiver um, or number two receiver. He's going to be starting. Him and him and Sutlin are going to be starters day one, I think. Uh, the question really it comes in into how we're going to use Hamler. Is Hamler going to be a starter? Is he going to start in the slot? Or is he going to be more of a situational guy and our primary returner? I can, I can see Hamler – I can see Hamler being our returner for sure. That's awesome. Because um, just the speed alone, man, is is there. And to be fair, uh, I don't see the ball dropping out of his hands. Not not a ton. Um, but not. <laughs> it bet not. I know that. If it happens more than once, he ain't going to have that job. Yeah, no, if it happens more than that, he's definitely not going to be having that job. He, he, he's going to be like third or fourth string after that. Right. But I, I think he's just a, he's a threat for something special. He's a threat for something special when he has that ball in his hand. When it's punt return time, when it's kick return time, for sure punt return time. I don't know if he's kick return, but he's for sure punt return guy. Uh, yeah, he, he has the capability of something special. That's what we need out there. He should be doing – I mean, especially when you spend a second-round pick on the dude, he's got to be on – got to be getting him on the field as much as possible. I mean, because that, that's, that's a high pick to be spending on somebody who only sees the field, you know, four times in a game or something if you're relegating him to the punt return only. So he's got to be doing kick return as well. And with that second-round pick, I feel like they have to be trying to slot him in in the slot I mean, not to be slot too repetitive there. Yeah, might as well slot him right on in there and slot. Uh, I thought Judy was kind of a slot receiver, though, wasn't he? Didn't, didn't, didn't Judy come out the slot a lot? I, he's been about 50-50 time from what I've read. So then, I mean, um, mix it up. You know, why, why, are we, why are we not looking for match, mismatches in, right? I think that's kind of what we'll get. Which is why I think it's still a possibility, if the Broncos want to, uh, bring back Demarius Thomas, because Demarius Thomas is – very much an outside guy. Do, do so not bring that name up again. Do not bring and that name up again. And then you put well, lay, lay in, lay in into him, Nasty. Let it lay into him because he keeps bringing. And you put Judy Thomas in the slot, and you have Thomas does not deserve. Receiver. Thomas does not deserve to come back to Denver. Who do you think he is, Brandon Marshall? He, he turned his he turned his back on Denver. He does not deserve to come back. Who do you think he is, Brandon Marshall? Uh, way better than Brandon Marshall. Who does he think he is? Ashley Lily. Better than that. Oh, who does he think he now, is? Now you being Ron Walker. But. If you slot Hamler in at the slot, just think about how much speed you have out there. Because you'd be talking about um, Cortland Sun being probably the slowest dude on the field uh, as far as 40 times go, having ran a 4-5-4. Four, four. Uh, see, that's, that's what we need. Okay, That's what we're going to need. We're going to need these, these guys with the speed to throw off 
and get sucked open more. Right, I mean, you have, simple. Yeah, I'm slow, but I didn't know he was that slow. It, it is. He doesn't seem that slow when he's when he's playing. No. I think that's just more. Of the, he didn't get a good forty. He didn't. He didn't run his best. Melvin Gordon, another big acquisition for the Broncos, ran a four-five-two, and then the third slowest dude would be Noah Fant at four-five. Because then you have Albert O came in at a four-four-nine. You have Judy at a four-four-five, and then you have Hamler, you know, going in at the slot, running somewhere probably in the four threes. I mean, in the low four threes, maybe high four twos. Here's the thing, man. Is, is Hamler, as, as long as he keeps his speed up, is, is his hands stay clutch, he's going to have a great future here as a Denver Bronco. So, so question, question to both of y'all. Who, who do you think has the best hands here? On, on our hands team, who has the best hands? I think Sutton we, still has the best we, hands. Are we talking about with the draft picks too or just, just current proper roster? No, no. I mean, they current too, but yeah, but, but all of them. Draft picks too. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to go with Sutton. Gotta be I Sutton. think Judy is close Sutton. though. And the only, reason I'm, the only reason I'm going with Sutton is just because of the time spent at this level. Yeah, that's fair. Just that veteran respect. And it, I, he's, he's better built to take hits, which you're going to in the NFL. There's no so, way five speed, though. He, he doesn't move that slow. Yeah. He doesn't move that slow. But when you're talking about just hands, having a bit more bulk to you, especially when you have those safeties coming down who are going to be trying to blast you as soon as you put have your hands on the ball, that's going to give Son the advantage in my book. Um, sliding over to the tight end position here, because we brought in Albert O. And obviously we spent our first round pick on Noah Fant last year. But with Alberto, you're talking about seven tight ends are technically part of the Broncos right now. Noah Fant, Andrew Beck, some kid named Fort, so he's not going to make it. Uh, Jake Butt, you have Hireman, Fumagalli, the Vanette that we just signed this past year, and then Albert O. It is crowded there, and at most, the Broncos are going to keep four. At most, I think. Yeah, four seems a bit... Yeah, at four is the max. There's no way you have five tight ends, but I, I feel like four seems kind of like a little bit well, much. I, four, I think, is realistic just because we don't have Jano, so we don't, we're not carrying a fullback. Okay. Okay, so, I mean, that's your extra tight end spot. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, there you go. Uh, I mean, and then, I, you know, the, the small possibility that he has to play left tackle or something, or right tackle, I should say. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there you go, four tight ends. <laughs> you, the fullback thing is what, is what confirmed it there, so, yeah. So, with that in mind, you've probably seen the end of the butt era in Denver. You've seen the end of Fumagalli, probably in Denver, because you're going to have you're going to keep Fant. You're going to keep Albert O. Uh, you just signed Bennett. So again, th this all doesn't mean nothing, man, until spring training. Well, or there, not, not there won't training, be spring training. You, you training know, camp. Training camp. Yeah. It doesn't mean that until training camp starts. And then we'll see who's really going to be sticking around. So who's about getting hit in those pads. Exactly. So I let me – they don't do that in training camp actually anymore. No more, no let me ask you specifically, Phil, because you, you're a big hater on uh, Drew Locke. You think he's going to throw like 12 touchdown passes this next season. Uh, after this draft, adding Judy specifically, and then also Hamler and Albert O, has – do you, has this improved 
what you think of Drew Locke going into this season and how he's going to perform. How he's going to perform? I mean, it just tells me that he has weapons now so that if he doesn't perform, we can't say that he doesn't have weapons as an excuse. Now, maybe he doesn't – maybe the offensive line is trash, but it sounds to me like on paper – let's say this. On paper so far, it looks like he's going to have weapons. There's going to be somebody open every play. I, I've said this before, and I'm, I'm, this has only confirmed it. Locke is throwing at least 30 touchdown passes this next season. Over under at 29 and a half with these weapons – you got to take the over. Oof. What did, what did he throw? We always talk about this. We always talk about this. I think we proved Mike wrong last time when we went through this because it wasn't all the quarterbacks were doing 30. It was only like six guys who threw 30 last year. I don't know, yeah. man. It, it was, it was a lower number last I'm still gonna, year. I'm still going to say under. I'm still going to say under. I'm still going to say under for this year. He's, he's going over 30. I'm telling you that right now. Is he going to throw 40? Probably not. But 30? Yeah. And then my last question was 40. We won 12 games. <laughs> if we, yeah. If he throws over 40, we're a playoff team. Uh, we're a playoff but, team right now. Plain and simple. We're a playoff team right he, now. If he throws 35, we're a playoff. If he throws 30, I think we should be a playoff team. Right. I, and I think we're a borderline playoff team. I, I said no, that no, last there, year. And I no think even more so are. this year. Cause he, if he's throwing 30, we're definitely running in seven you know, at the least. Let's continue our talk here on the offense here because I got another question for you. We're talking about Drew Locke and how many touchdowns he's going to throw next year. I want to actually ask, how many 1,000-yard receivers are we going to have next year and who? Uh, probably one. Just one? Maybe one. Maybe one. 1,000 is kind of a good amount. Probably maybe one. Maybe one. So you think we might have no receivers with 1,000 yard? When you're talking about – Cortland son, Jerry Judy, throw Noah Fant out there. That's exactly, exactly. So many options. It's gonna, it's gonna be tough for these guys. You know, none of them are Julio, so it's like, hey, got all these options. It's hard to. I'm gonna say Sutton with a with over a thousand. I'm gonna say Judy, around eight eight fifty. All right, so I'm actually. I'm going to go with Judy and – I'm going to say Judy and Fant break 1,000. Uh, and the reason I'm going to leave Sun out is because I think after the breakout year he had last year, I think he's going to get a lot more attention coming into the season. So I think that's going to open up a lot of things for Judy and his route running. And then tight ends, uh, Fant, with all his deficiencies blocking – He's kind of unguardable <laughs> as far as in the passing game. I mean, who's going to guard the six-five guy who runs like he does, uh, I mean, especially I mean, in our division? To be fair, though, man, look at Fant last season. But that was his rookie year. Like, tight ends in their rookie seasons tend to always have a rough time. You, you rarely ever see tight know, ends man. come in. I don't know. You put Albert O in there? I don't think we're going to see the same rookie mistakes that we saw from Fan. Oh, we'd see worse. We would we'd probably I, see worse. I don't think so. I, I really don't. So you think Fan should be worried for his job after that? I would be. Because you got, you got a hungry Albert O coming in who wants to prove what he's worth. He wants to prove what he brings to the table. I, to be fair, man, everybody needs to be worried about their job. 
I, I don't know that about Noah Fant, because you look at what he did once. Um, his numbers just went up by a good amount once. I mean, the whole offense looked a lot better once Drew Locke took over. But Noah Fant in particular had a couple really good games once we had Drew Locke in there who definitely looked his way more than what uh, <laughs> than what Joe Flacco did. So I don't know that we'll have to worry about that. I, I don't know that Fant should, needs to be worrying about his job. I mean, his, he was a – he was a first-round pick under the same – all the same pieces that believed in him and made him that first-round pick are still there in the Broncos organization. See, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Kev. Yes. It's just because of the season we had last last three seasons, okay? You have to be worried about your job. You have to be. Because the talent that is coming out, Jerry Judy, Albert O. It, it doesn't matter, bro. You have to be worried about your job. You have to worry about these college kids want to earn their spot. They want to earn that paycheck. They want to earn the big money. So yeah, they are gonna come out. They're gonna they're gonna be shooting to take that starting position. And if you want to yes. be relaxed, like like we know no offense gonna be, once you get relaxed, you ain't gonna have a roster spot. But Yes, obviously these. You'll be joining Demarius Thomas. So be one of the best receivers in Broncos history. Gotcha. Um, No, no. You're going to be joining Demarius Thomas as not being a Bronco. Demarius Thomas, no Brandon Marshall. That's all I got to say. And Mike, so shocked at what I said, he froze. Look at the boy. He believes in us. Look at us. Stay still if you believe everything we say, Mike. See? Exactly. He believes in what we say. Not quite our puppet, but our homie. Kate's puppet. Stay still if you believe what we say, Mike. Exactly. All right, man, like we were saying about the Broncos before we were so uh, rudely interrupted by Mike's comments. How are you feeling about this season? Man? How are you feeling? What do you think? And, I would, I would and, and realistically, I, I believe we're going to break even. I believe – oh, wow, he, he, got, he got big, man. He, he, he got Mike. big upset. We had to get Mike out of there. The 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 weapons that Drew Lock has, man, there's no doubt that we shouldn't have a ten win season. You go ten wins this year? Damn. Ten wins. Oh, ten no, wins. Man. I don't know. We got some hell of weapons, dog. We got some really good weapons. Mike's I guess Mike's really convinced now on the offensive line. I'm not so convinced yet because Garrett Bowles is still on the team. Mike says Garrett Bowles got better. Garrett, Garrett Bowles got a little bit better towards the end of the season, but that again, man, that's the end of the season. That's when you know your bro. We were already your done. games are limited. Yeah, right. your games are limited. There's no playoffs, so of course, yeah, you're gonna get more relaxed, more focused, whatever. But Garrett Bowles, he he's got to get replaced. He's he's got to have some. We got to have somebody else come in and take a spot. Got to get him out of there. Got to get him out of there. Katie, what do you think about the Broncos' outlook this year? Ta, um, yeah, speak up. What do you think about the Broncos' chances? I don't, I don't really know anything about sports. So. And that's why this is your perfect job to get an opinion in there. Just give us what you think about the Broncos' chance this year. Um, as long as that guy with the beard. Think you might win it all this year? We'll be okay. <laughs> as long as he, okay, 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 okay. You think we might place. win it at all? Huh? Do you think we might win it all, T.A.? 
Yeah, as long the, as the Super guy Bowl. with the beard catches the okay, ball. Okay, now we're having issues from the like, TA. You know, the, the, as well. the basket or whatever. <laughs> I was looking at me like I'm, <laughs> like I'm dumb. So here we are. We're talking some some Denver Bronco upcoming predictions for the future season that is upon us. And, you know, Mike, are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Um, we, we talked about all the skill positions, but let's transition into time out of this offensive line because a lot of what the Broncos are able to accomplish this year is going to be dependent on that offensive line. And after, you know, the signing of Glasgow and then the drafting of Cushenberry, I'm actually pretty happy with how this offensive line is looking like right now going into this coming season. Well, I, I do. Oh, go ahead, Phil. Go ahead. I'd say the offensive line is looking uh, very offensive. For sure. Uh, they don't. I'm not sure if they're pass blocking this year. They definitely want to run block for sure. Uh, you know, it looks like an offensive. They want to push for. They want to. They want to be pouncing off the ball. What do you think? Because I, I, I think if we're dropping back to pass a lot, Gary Bowles will be getting in some trouble. What do you think? All right then. Well, when you you bring up Garrett Bowles in particular, and I don't know, at the end of last season, Garrett Bowles was looking really a lot better than what he did at the beginning of the season. So I'm, he is still a question mark for me, but not as much of a question mark as if you had asked me halfway through last season. But really looking at the interior of the offensive line is where I'm the m most happy. Uh, you talk about having – uh, Reisner there, who could be a Pro Bowl guard in his second season, maybe even all pro guard. You have Glasgow, which is, I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily a Pro Bowl, but he's a hes a really good guard. And then you bring in the young gun in Lloyd Cushenberry out of LSU, and that, that threesome inside can anchor this line for years to come, I think. I don't know, Mike. I think you got to get rid of bowls up front to be anything to be anything special, man. I, I, I just think we're going to be driving down there, big down, you know, going up against Mahomes Green, Kansas City on a Monday night, and Locke's been playing out of his mind. And next thing you know, Gary Bowles going to hold somebody when he, when Locke threw a touchdown, uh, and he's going to get called back. I, I just I just don't know if I'm sold on Gary Bowles, man. Gary Bowles, it, it's, it's time for him to bounce. Yeah, he, 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 he might have had to bowl up out of here, man. Now, now Cushenberry, I'm willing to give him a shot and a second shot. That's because his last name. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the guards or the tackles are definitely the position of greatest concern when it comes to the – when it comes to this offensive line because you don't know about the consistency of bowls. You do know he's going to be there for all 16 games pretty much because he's – he hasn't really missed time due to injury in his short stint in the NFL. But you can't say that about the other side in Dwan James and his want to – so that that's that's probably more concerning to me than the actual, than left tackle and Garrett Bowles. See, so you read about Juwan James wanting to, huh? Yes. Wanting to do what? Play football. And hey, you take it over here. Uh, okay. Here, here's, <laughs> here, here's the plain and simple thing: we got to get rid of Bowles. We got to get rid of. McManus, and everything will go just perfectly fine for the Denver Broncos. Plans they should bring Jokic in, honestly. 
Jokic would be a terrific mm-hmm. field goal kicker. Jokic in there at that right tackle spot? You don't think so? No. He, he's he's going to be gravy at the kicker. Long arms, man, right there at the tackle spot, man. Long arms, seven feet. He's, he's got the big leg. He's, he's going yard. He's Guaranteed going. 17 home runs. But, Mike, how, how are you going to sit there and, and, and still get behind Brandon McManus? How are you going to do that? Hmm? Because I, he's not clear – he's not near being the weakest point in this Broncos roster. I mean, he's still hitting about 85% of his field goals, which is not the best in the league, but it's definitely exactly. not the right worst there. in nope. the league. Nope, you said it right there. It is not the best in the league. There's nobody available that you're going to bring in that can do any better, though. You can bring in somebody Period. Blankenship. He's ready. So uh, Blankenship's off the point. I don't Blanket, know that Blankenship is clutch. Yeah, Plain and simple. It, it doesn't matter if it's first quarter, if it's overtime. He is clutch. Plain and simple. Bring in Blankenship then and have a competition. I, I'm not opposed to that. I'm just I don't know that he's going to outperform McManus. I know damn well he's going to outperform McManus. I don't know, Especially at the higher elevation. Blankenship already has a monster of a leg right now. You put him at the higher elevation with thinner air, of course he's going to be nailing the 65 plus mark. With the right. right, and then and then you, you just you, you move McManus over to a strong safety, have him inside the box, and we're good to go. I mean, McManus did play safety in high school. Let's not forget about that. Yeah, yes, yes, um, yeah. And Blankenship does have a rocket leg, um, which is part of why I'm not opposed to bringing him in. But more important to me than being able to kick a 65 yard field goal is being able to his, is the accuracy. I care more about that than the leg strength. The accuracy is there for Blankenship. The accuracy isn't there for McManus. So do you know off the top of your head what Blankenship's um, – what his field goal percentage was? Mike, you're breaking up. What did you say? Do you know what uh, the prospect – what his field goal percentage was in – college uh he was 99 of 100 kicks 99 percent are you seriously gonna come ask me about blanket ship number 99 from the georgia bulldogs who wears glasses are you really gonna come ask me about his record of kicking yes i'm just i'm curious uh so we'll put it this way in all four years of Blankenship's career, he missed four field goals. He missed two extra points. That's right. That's right. His longest was 57 yards. He ain't from Notre Dame, though. No, so. And you know what? It's cool because he's going to be a successful kicker in Indianapolis, and then you're going to see. Then you're going to see. Which actually, his field goal percentage was lower in college than what McManus has been doing in the NFL. No, it's not at all. Yes, because his field goal percentage in college was eighty-one point or eighty-two point five percent. 
And, and where are you getting the stats from? From Sports Reference. That is put the put most. Them up here on the screen, then put them on the screen so we can see it, because I don't believe it. That's the most biased website there is. That's like going to CNN for all your sporting news. What side did he say? Uh, sports or reference. something like that. You said sports betting? No, no, not quite that. Sports reference. But I was actually, I was kind of surprised they didn't try to bring him in because he didn't get drafted. He could have been a a signing, a free uh, undrafted signing for the Broncos. So I was a little surprised they didn't bring him in for some competition there because McManus has not, he's not been perfect. No, he is not. And he's going to continue to not be perfect. And he's going to continue to cost us games. But that's all right because uh, the guy okay. that we need, the guy that we need is going to Indianapolis. Uh, Blake and Chip, according to Fox Sports, 82% on his field goal kicks. You're listening to the EMP, the, the, the EMP Sports Show. <laughs> Eddie, don't roll your eyes. Please don't roll your eyes. Great you know what? <laughs> you know what, intern? I, I, think it's time you put, I think it's time you put your two weeks in. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> What's in that drink? How, how dare you butcher the name of the two-time BEA award-winning sports show. Well, to be fair, I said EZMP, so really it was like double Eddie's. And to be fair, we are the only sports show in AIM student history to be this successful. Yeah, I guess that's true. And the utter disrespect you just put on our name, intern. I don't know, guys. What do you think? Should we fire you know, give her give her a chance to redeem herself. I don't know if I can, Mike. I don't know if I can. How do you think you got? How do you think we should have her redeem herself? You know what? I don't know yet. Maybe, maybe we'll give her the sign out. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah, give her the sign out. The sign out? Uh, well, <laughs> that sounds dangerous. Okay, whatever. So we have um, we've gone over these pieces and how they slide in for the Broncos offensively. Let's move over to the defensive side of things in this last full segment. Uh, starting on the defensive line, the Broncos obviously brought in Casey, possibly the best defensive lineman on the roster right now. And then you bring in Ogden, uh, who could very well end up starting, if not starting, be a crucial rotational piece along that defensive line. And all of a sudden, this defensive line does not look too shabby going into next season. I got to admit, we got a solid rotation. Got a solid rotation. Then you add in uh, Vonster on those passing downs, man. We, uh, we, got a little, we got a little something there to be building here in Denver. Got a little something for the 2021 season. For the 2020-2021 season, we might have some, some pass rush, maybe some, yeah. some, some run-stopping ability. Because you're bringing back guys like Shelby Harris. Um, Mike Purcell is coming back as well, along with Delaney Walker. Yeah. At rotation, we could be 5-6 deep, and like we saw in the Super Bowl year, having a rotation of guys come in and have fresh legs, fresh bodies in general to come in and keep that pressure on an offense 
is huge. So, okay, so, so with this defense coming on, okay, with this defense coming on, do you see any weak spots? Uh, yes, and until I see what uh, Stranod can do, it's still at that coverage linebacker position, especially in our or in our division, going up against Kelsey, Waller, Hunter Henry, I that coverage linebacker position is still a huge question mark for me. Yeah, man, it's important. We want these coverage linebackers out there. Um, you know, Isaiah Simmons went like number four or whatever it was, or he went early. But Mm-mm. that just shows the importance. Eighth overall. Yeah, that just shows you the importance. Oh, eight? Oh, yeah, he did drop a little bit. That just shows the importance of, of you know, coverage linebacker these days, uh, especially in our division. Right. I mean, we have the best tight ends in the game in this division for sure. <laughs> so, it, it covers linebackers are very important. So, that looks like it might be a little uh, issue that we need, that we have still. What do you think, Eddie? After. I mean, to be fair, dude, like, I'm, I'm just interested to see on how Von Miller is going to, quote, unquote, adjust to this COVID-19 he supposedly has. You know what I mean? But after oh. after the terrible season he had last 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 season, and with the absence of Chubbs, I mean it's it's truly going to be these guys, these two individuals right here, Chubb and Miller, that are going to really kind of dictate the direction that the Denver defense goes. Which, if we're just talking about this season and not looking forward. The depth at outside backer, the depth at pass rushers is kind of my secondary concern on this team because after Chubb and Miller, there's really a lot of question marks as far as who can come in and generate a pass rush for us. Who can rotate? Like who? Like who? That, uh, that's, I guess you have a Tachu you're looking at maybe trying to get him, Justin Holland. Um, and then you have like the seventh round pick, uh, Tuska. If he can develop into that, maybe rotating in, and he surprises us all as a seventh round pick. But that's that's my question there. I mean, having a rotation, like I said, with the defensive line back in the Super Bowl year for the Broncos was one of the key parts of the defense and how why it was so dominant was, you know, Von Miller came out, so you had Shaq Barrett come in and generate a great pass rush. uh, DeMarcus Ware had to come out, so you just rotate in Shane Ray, who, I mean, granted, those guys were stepped down, but you're talking about a 100% fresh Shaq Barrett or a 50% uh, DeMarcus where and you have the fresh legs in there. That's going to win you a lot of matchups. Gotta admit, Mike, you don't you don't sound like you like you're missing a thing out there, Mike. I gotta say, you hit every point right on, right on target there. What you think, Eddie? Yeah, I gotta agree. Mike's hitting, Mike's hitting the key points. He's he's giving his his valid argument for it. That's that's pretty solid on Mike's part. Now, is it true? I don't know. Because, I mean, yeah, there's some young Mike guys that can prove themselves. 
You're absolutely right. There are there are guys that do need to prove themselves. And that'll be some definitely keep your eye on going into the season. A couple of draft picks from last year uh, who need to step up to show that they deserve to be in that rotation and and earn some uh, earn some snaps on the field. And that's right. That's right. Bringing into play, man. You have to be worried about your job. You have to be cautious that you're possibly going to lose your job to this brand new rookie coming in. Which brings us to the last group, though, because there is there's a decent amount of holdover in this group, uh, and that's the secondary. You, Kareem Jackson looked real good once he moves in the safety. You brought in A.J. Bouye, and for this year, I don't have much concern about the secondary unit. It's more if I'm trying to project into next season and the season after that, uh, where the question marks come in with the secondary. Well, I mean, let, let's look at the secondary. Let, let's look at how the secondary was able to adjust in the final, we'll say, five games of the Broncos season. Mm-hmm. Take a look at that and give me your, your feed off of how they're going to be better than they were last year. Well, I it's hard to say this, but I think for at least for the system, I think Bouye is going to be an upgrade over Chris Harris Jr. And I I really love Chris Harris Jr. playing here as a Denver Bronco, one of the, you know, fabled undrafted to Pro Bowl guys that the Broncos capitalize on. But I really think Bouye is going to be an upgrade there for this system. Uh, Kareem Jackson, once he got moved to safety last year, and that's really when you saw the improvement in this defense as a whole. And you partner him up with Justin Simmons back there. And we talked about before that that's, you know, borderline great makings of a secondary. The opposite corner from Bouye is where we're going to have issues. I mean, Callahan was a big acquisition last year, but he never saw the field really. Uh, we did a minor trade to bring in Dawson from New England. Is he going to step up? Fosby's there. You have Yadam who had a better rookie year than he had a sophomore season. Or is that, is that pick Michael O, is he going to be really able to step up in his rookie year and grab hold of that second corner position? It, that is a big question mark as far as an individual spot on this, on this defense coming into next season. No, it, it definitely is a, uh, a huge thing to look forward to, man. So only time will tell. All right, big Mike. All right, guys. I guess the Broncos the, the, have uh, grabbed to some folks, gotten some folks out of free. Yeah. You know, we, we got some receivers, we got some corners, we got some, some all old linemen, we got some D linemen. We got new faces, we, we faces that left us. Okay. We got a quarterback that's going to start for us this year. Full full time starter all year, no Flacco. What's our early predictions, man? What's our early predictions? I, I guess I can I can start with me. I'm gonna go ahead and sprinkle this in right now for a solid nine and seven. Okay, Bill's got nine and seven, so I'm jotting that so down. Nine draft, and seven. Did this draft bump up your prediction, Phil? Yeah, the draft definitely bumped up my predictions. Uh, we, we filled a filled a need in offensive lineman, and we filled two needs at receiver. 
we we went out and got some weapons. To me, that that adds that adds yards, that adds points, that adds possessions. Okay. What about All you, right. Mike? What do you got? So nine and seven for Phil. Um. Just offhand, I'm going to go with 9-7 and seven as well. Uh, I think this offense is going to – might have a little bit of a learning curve early on in the season, but I really think this offense is going to develop into one of probably a top 10 offense in the league by the time the season is done. So that I'm excited about. My question marks are on defense and the depth in particular on defense, but I have to put my faith in Fangio because that's that's what he does is defense. So I'm going to go nine and seven. This draft definitely probably the best draft, in my opinion, the Broncos have done in quite some time. So it's definitely got me pumped for this next season. All right. Well, that leaves uh, my prediction. And like always, I'm a realist and I'm going 11 and five. I believe these draft picks are what Denver needed. I believe the defense will be restructured and come back stronger. Drew Locke is going to prove to all the doubters out there why Drew Locke is the man here in Denver. So 11 and 5. Obviously, at 11 and 5, you think they're a playoff team. I think they, I think they will be. They will be competing for the wild card. I think they'll get a wild card this year. I'll, I'll just go ahead and say I, I'll think they'll get the wild card this year. Phil, at, at nine and seven, though, do you think this is a playoff team next season? It's hard to say. You, you know New England's not going to be in there. I'm going to say right now the last playoff spot is the Broncos. But that's a largely because I wow, haven't me. had a. It's largely that's largely because I haven't had a chance to di- digest everybody, though. Yeah, but Broncos right now. Let's go for it. Me right. and Phil actually agree on it for this coming season. That surprises me. There you guys have it. That's all the time we have for today. But always a huge shout out to you guys listening. Tune in tomorrow as we get a little bit more provocative <laughs> in our show. You're listening to EFP Sports Show.